in full honesty and disclosure or whatever, I am struggling. Um, I know like a lot of people are, life is hard, COVID, lockdown, all of that. And I picked this song out literally last night at like 10 o'clock maybe, 10.30 p.m., like very, very late. I've heard this song tons of times. I listen to it, it's on my regular playlist. Um, but it just kind of, it was my prayer to the Lord because I had a complete breakdown. I'm like, at the end of my rope, and according to Alex's sermon a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was even last week, time is irrelevant these days, about when you're at the end of your rope, you can call yourself blessed because that's when God steps in. That's when Jesus steps in. Your heart is open. Um, and I was like, I'm just weak. I'm at the end of my rope. Jesus said he's going to like be my strength if I boast about my weaknesses. So where is he? You know, like I was just sobbing, laying on the living room floor. And today the verse of the day is Romans 8:26, And it's like in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the spirit himself intercedes for us in the wordless groans. And I just thought, thought that was so perfect timing because it's like I don't even know what to pray for like I feel a little bit hopeless I'm extroverted I recharge with being around people and that's hard right now and just our routines are off and everything's off and like I just can't do it my heart is hard I just feel worn out um, and I truly believe the Holy Spirit brought this song to my mind and I just started coming in I'm like I'm gonna go find the chords for that um so it's called I Turn to You. It's by Saint if you know it. It's a long place. Yeah. 
When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said.
of his way of life. Now, last week, we covered the first 12 verses of this manifesto about his life that we often call the Sermon on the Mount. And now we'll pick up this week in verse 13, and you'll find out why I spent so much time talking about tasting and seeing salt and light. Starting in verse 13, Matthew chapter 5, it says, You are the salt of the earth. He's looking at the people who've climbed with them, climbed with him to find out about what it means to be the disciples. And he says, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but you put it on a lampstand so it can give light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus and his audience knew scripture. He's talking to a Jewish audience. If you think about how Jesus grew up, when he was a boy, he would awake most likely every morning by his parents reciting the Shema, saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Yahweh is gracious and merciful, compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in everlasting love. Can you imagine waking up every morning to hear your parents say that? That just does something to who you are and what you think about God and what you think about your life. As he walked to synagogue school each day where he and most of um, the young people in his community would memorize much of the Old Testament, he would likely pass a field where men were working and they would be singing a psalm as they worked. This is the culture of first century Israel. They were completely inundated by the Old Testament. They're memorizing most of it in school. <laughs> Just think about that, memorizing huge sections of the Old Testament. And that people are constantly singing the psalms as we sing the top 100, you know, the top 10 pop songs or whatever that you know. And somebody says one line from and all of a sudden you sing the rest of it. For them, that was the psalms. Like somebody could say one line from the psalm and they would sing the rest of it. It was just ingrained into who they were. It was so common that you could offhandedly mention a reference to the Old Testament and everybody automatically got it. We kind of have that in our culture, right? It's like if I reference Star Wars, and even if you haven't seen it, you know what I'm talking about. That's how the Old Testament was to Jewish Jesus's audience. Um, it would be like if I said, Luke, doesn't matter if you've seen Star Wars or not, you're like, Darth Vader, I know that reference. Like, it, I, he didn't know it was his father, you know? That's how it was for Jesus and his audience. Someone could mention the Old Testament scriptures or even make an allusion to an Old Testament reference, and they knew it that well that they instantly got it. So when he started talking about salt that you taste and light that you see, I think his audience would immediately think of Psalm 34, 8. I think that immediately they would be like, oh, this sounds like, this reminds us of Psalm 34, 8. And Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that Yahweh is good. Blessed is the person who trusts Him. Now, I think the fact that the second half of this verse talks about blessing, and he just went through and said, here's what blessing really looks like, even more connects that he had this verse in his mind, and that his audience probably was thinking about this verse 
as he was teaching. He had just redefined in the first 12 verses for us what makes a good life, the best life, the blessed life. And now he's making reference, I think, to this verse in Psalms where it also says, hey, you want to know what a blessed life is? When you trust that God knows better than you do. He just said, hey, I'm going to redefine you what blessing means. And then he uses, I think, a reference to a verse where it says, true blessing is trusting that God knows what blessing looks like in you. But he says, taste and see that Yahweh is good. If living and loving like Jesus makes us salt, that's what he's saying there in verse 13. He says, you're listening to me about what it looks like to live and love like I do, to become my disciples. That's going to mean you're going to become salt. Then people see that God is good by encountering our lives as we live and love like Jesus. People taste and see that Yahweh, the one true God, is good when we live and love like Jesus. A world of people claiming to know God and not living and loving like Jesus gives people a wrong impression of God. If culture has the wrong idea about what God is like, and I think our culture does, it's because the people of God have given them a wrong impression with their lives. I've given people a wrong impression about what God is like because of the way that I've lived. In Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, Do not take my name in vain, for Yahweh will punish those who take his name in vain. Over and over again in the Old Testament, there's this command to the Israelites, don't take the name of God in vain. Now, growing up in church, they always told me that meant don't cuss. They're like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't cuss. You better not swear. And I was like, okay, I'll be, I'll be good. I won't cuss. So I came to Philly, and then everybody cusses all the time. And I'm like, oh, I've really got to, you know, I'm going to start picking up on this. In Exodus 20, if we read the rest of this chapter, it starts out, and it's like, hey, don't worship demons. Don't murder people. And then it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And so that doesn't really fit, right? Thematically, you're like, don't worship demons. Don't kill people. Don't cuss. I think, and a lot of scholars think this too, that it's saying more than don't use God's name flippantly, but it's saying as Israelites, you are now my representatives on earth. You are Yahweh's people, and what you do is going to reflect on me. So if you have my name stamped on you, you better act like I would. And if you don't act like I would, that means you're misrepresenting me, and you will have consequences. The Jews were representatives to the nations around them about what Yahweh was like. He expected them to act like he would to reflect his character and nature in the world. I think we take the name Christian in vain when we say we are Christians, but we don't act like Christ would. We take the name Christian in vain when we do not speak to people like Christ would. We do not show mercy like Christ would. Would. We do not weep with the hurting like Christ would. If we say that we are Christians, but we don't live in love like Jesus, we misrepresent the name of God. We're salt that's not salty. Jesus explains that his followers should be salt and light, but some who claim his name are not salty and do not push back the darkness with their presence. In fact, he says, if salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing. 
If we live and love like Jesus, we'll make people thirsty for God, we'll bring hope into hopeless places, light to push back the darkness, the darkness in the darkest places of our world. But I think Jesus is also saying to the people seated there, these are people who are hearing and really getting a full grasp about what this life that he's offering and he's encouraging people to practice looks like. I think he's also saying to them, come be a student of mine. Try my way of life and you'll experience God. Taste and see that my life leads to an encounter with the one true God. I think he's saying to the people right in front of them, you haven't run away yet when I redefine what blessed means. You're still here, you're still interested, you're still with me, and if you become students of the way that I live and love, you'll taste and see that living and loving like I do results in a new meaningful experience with God. Maybe some of you watching right now online, you're like, I'm not sure I wanna be a student of Jesus. Like, I'm not sure, I'm just checking it out. That's okay, what Jesus is saying here is, if you want to see God, become my student, and I'll show you him. This is as close as Jesus gets to trying to promote or sell his way of life. Jesus is never trying to sell us on anything. This is really, I think, one of the best ways, if he's making this reference to Psalms like I think he is. He's saying, hey, come be a student of mine, and you'll taste and see that it's the best life. You'll taste and see that God is good, that I am God and I am offering full, abundant life as my disciple. Live in love like I do and you get to encounter God in a deeper way. You get to see God. People say all the time, show me God. I have a friend, he's an atheist, and uh, all the time I'm talking about Jesus and he's like, show me God. Show me God in all of this. Show me God. Jesus is saying, if you want to see God, become my student. If you truly want to see him, become a student of how I live and love, and you'll see he's been right there in front of you with arms open wide this whole time. See, I think many people want God to show up without them putting any effort into seeking him. Those who seek, Jesus said, find and I think some people don't find because honestly, they don't see. Want to see God become a student of Jesus. Don't just memorize his teachings, live them. Dallas Mullard said, the greatest issue facing the world today. Man, our world has some issues. 2020 has some issues, right? Here's what Dallas Mullard said. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture identify themselves as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. The greatest issue facing the world today is that people who say they're salt and light actually become students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom. A Christian that is not living and loving like Jesus is not good for anything. It's like a light that you hide when you're in darkness. Darby and I, a few weeks ago, we took a trip, stayed up at a cabin, and while we were up there, we went to this cave, and it was a really cool cave, 
uh, they gave us a tour and it was like at this campground and there was like nobody there so it was just Darby and I and the tour guide going through the cave and there's this one point in the cave they have lights strung up all through the cave and as you go into a section they'll turn on the lights for that section and as you get to the next section they'll turn on the lights behind you so we got to this one crossroads and she says this is the part of the tour where I usually turn out all the lights so you can see how dark it is and Darby was like okay but just for a minute you know um, and so she turned out the lights, and it was so dark. You're just completely and utterly blinded. It, like you can't see your hand in front of your face. Um, and then in just a second, she turned the lights back on. And when those lights came on, you know, you feel like, oh, good, I feel safe again. I know nothing's creeping out of the walls. No, no rocks are falling down on me. I can see. How silly it would be to be in such a dark place and to hide. Jesus said, that's a light that's not good for anything. You would never do that. And he said that salt that's not salty needs to be thrown out. It's pointless. It's worthless. And that got me thinking, how often does my life, as I say I'm a Christian, a disciple, a student of Jesus, often do I how often do I feel like my life is worthless or pointless or dark? And I think when that happens, that's actually like a dashboard warning light. This week, Darby called me up, and she's like, a light came on in the car. My parents gave us a car, and uh, we were going to have some work done on it this week. And she goes, a warning light came up on the dashboard. What does it mean? And uh, she sent me a picture of it. I was like, I've never seen a warning light like this before. So I'm Googling it, and it's like, it's a tire pressure low warning sign. I was like, oh, this car's fancy. It tells you when your tire pressure is low, you know? And um, so we got the new tires on and the tire pressure fixed. But I think when you are a student of Jesus, or you say you're a Christian and your life feels worthless or pointless or dark, that's a dashboard warning light on your spiritual life telling you that you stray from practicing the ways of Jesus. See, we can't expect the benefits of the Christian life, things like peace and joy, if we aren't living the Christian life, if we aren't living like Christ. This COVID pandemic has revealed to me that I'm pretty undisciplined in a lot of areas of my life. In fact, during this time, I've often found myself, like Darby said, often depressed or discouraged or despondent. I change that by practicing the lifestyles of Jesus. I can't expect to enjoy being salt and light if I'm not embracing the ways that Jesus lived and Maybe if you're watching online and you're like, my life feels despondent and dark, depressing, it feels meaningless and worthless, why don't you just embracing the ways of Jesus? Learning from him, as Dallas Willard said, to live the life of the kingdoms of heaven. Practices like prayer, meditation on scripture, Simplicity of schedule, simplicity of material things, confession of sins to others, sitting in silence and giving thanksgiving to God, lamenting, choosing to join in and meet with others, and Sabbath, taking time to get outside and enjoy all the abundance that God has put into your world and life. Not thinking about what you don't have, but thanking Him for what. If I don't practice the lifestyle of Jesus, I shouldn't expect the benefits that his life offers. So, 
do you see the benefits of the Christian life? Things like peace and joy in your life right now? If not, that could be a spiritual dashboard warning light telling you the issue is not with the Christian life. The issue is not with Christ. The issue is with you and me and the fact that we're not living and loving like Jesus. We've started to be salt that's not salty and started to be a light that we hide. Is your life salty? Is it full of life? What spiritual practice of Jesus can you begin to implement this week? I just named some of them. Simplicity of schedule. Man, we live in a busy world. What would it look like to say, I'm going to simplify my schedule. This is what I'm going to prioritize and I'm going to say no to everything else. I'm not good at saying no to people. I've been trying to get better at it, but I try to say yes to everything. And then you know what happens? My soul is ragged and worn out and doesn't enjoy the life that Jesus provides. Finally, people around you cannot taste and see that Yahweh is good unless we live and love like Jesus. I know there's people in your life and there's people in my life who desperately need to see that Yahweh is good. There are dark places that you walk into and dark places that I walk into that desperately need us to bring the light. Who needs to see the life of Jesus in you this week? Will you begin to pray for them in just a minute? We're going to take a time of prayer. And where are you going to walk into this week that's a dark place that you need to push back that darkness with the ways of Jesus? We are salt and light if we live and love just for a minute, I want you to breathe in a deep breath. Let it out. Thank you, God, that you give us a breath. We're alive because you're alive. We'll live forever because you defeated death. God, so often I do not enjoy the full benefits of the Christian life because I'm trying to get the benefits without living the life that you've given me as a gift. Through your Holy Spirit, you've empowered us to live and love like you. You've given us this roadmap of what it looks like to live and love like you. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about loving our enemies, doing good for those who persecute us. And you say, this is the pathway to the best, most abundant human life, the life that I Or via Venmo or PayPal or donate in the box by the front door. 
Thank you, those who are watching online, for your faithful giving. Thanks for keeping Horizon around and alive during these, these strange days that we live in. Um, every Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a prayer call via Zoom. It's the same link every week. Jump on and join us if you'd like to pray together for a few minutes. I've been thinking about over the last few months as COVID and just this disruption goes on and on and on. Like, what can I do to help people continue spiritually growing and learning and connecting during this time? Darby and I had this great plan where last summer we did a bunch of barbecues and picnics. And we were like, this summer we're going to do the same thing. We're going to have people over to our new house. And we're just going to have a weekly meal and anybody can come and we'll have spiritual discussions. And it'll be great. And then, of course, we went into quarantine and none of that happened. And, you know, I began thinking about, like, what does small groups look at in the fall? And, you know, we just live in a weird world where all the plans and all the things that I thought were going to happen, haven't happened. So I'm trying to think about, like, what can we do? And so in the next few weeks, I'm going to start talking about this idea I have called Book Club. And we're going to work through a spiritual book or a book of the Bible together. And we're just going to connect with each other throughout the week and talk about what we're learning, what we're challenged by, share what we're thinking with other people. And um, just to get us connected, to help us spiritually grow. And I spiritually grow when you share what God is teaching you in your life. And you spiritually grow if I share what God is teaching me in my life. The Holy Spirit teaches us through each other. And that's what I want to encourage with book club. Um, and finally, each week we share one of our core values. At Horizon, we are Jesus-centered. Everything we do centers around Jesus. There is no eternal life without Jesus. There is no forgiveness of sins without Jesus. Without Jesus, death wins. It's the end of the story, and there's no future or hope. But with Jesus, all bets are off the table. Anything is possible because he's been Death. Jesus lived the greatest human life that anyone has ever lived. I fully believe that. And we can enjoy his abundant life by becoming students of his life. Jesus says, I will not have to fight anyone who falls out to me. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you today to cry out because he is right there ready to bring I hope all of you have a great Labor Day tomorrow. I'm going to pray dismiss this. Lord Jesus, thank you for Horizon. Thank you for the people here. Thank you for the people who watch online. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given us to serve these communities here in the suburbs of Philadelphia. God, I pray that you will continually use us to be salt and light in a city that many times is very dark, where people feel very hopeless. Help us to be strategically placed by your spirit, to be lights and dark places. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much. We're dismissed.